Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Well, turn your Bible to uh, Mark chapter 12, uh, as we've been every single week. Mark chapter 12, and then also... Uh, go to 1 Corinthians 13. We were there a couple of weeks ago. We're going to unpack a little bit more from the chapter. But Mark chapter number 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. Of course, uh, the last two weeks we really unpacked the thoughts of loving with all of our heart and talked about how that's really from the seat of our emotions. The heart is the seat of emotion and also the seat of motivation. Why we do what we do. Uh, what is our motivation is really what we asked that first week. And then last week really uh, dove even a little bit deeper into the sense of who we are. Uh, that we are defined by love, by God's love toward us. And then also uh, we are to be defined by love in the sense that people would look at our lives and see that we are living lives of love and uh, and all of that flows from knowing God is what we talked about last week and uh, that's really what loving with all of our soul means at the very core of who we are we are defined by love knowing that love and growing in that love and then showing that love to other people and this week we're really going to unpack the idea uh, of loving with all of our mind what does that mean loving with all of our mind. And so uh, Mark chapter 12, uh, we're going to read our theme passage for the year. And then uh, at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I, I believe we'll really unpack what it means to uh, love with all of our mind. And so Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 29, Jesus speaking, it says, Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There's none other commandment greater than these. Now flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. We're going to read verses 4 through 7. The Bible says this, it says, Charity suffereth long. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. I hope that we'll see this morning as we really unpack what Paul was writing in what love is, I hope we'll see that love is not just a feeling uh, or a motivation as we talked about the first week. Love is not just something that we should know and then show to others, uh, which we'll even unpack a little bit more next week in how uh, love is not just what we do, but love is a mindset. Love is a mindset, and I hope we'll see that. But before we dive into that, let's one more time with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, just ask the Lord to bless this time uh, in his word, ask the Lord to speak to us, and then uh, just uh, determine to respond to the Lord however he speaks to us. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for uh, this time now to look into your word. It is a living, it's an active 
powerful book, Lord, and you have something for each and every one of us today. And uh, Lord, even in study this week, uh, I know this is something that each and every one of us can be challenged with uh, because my heart has been challenged. And so God, I pray that you would, uh, as, uh, as you do each and every week and want to do each and every week, Lord, we ask that you would just speak to us through your word. Uh, help us to grasp what you have for us and to apply that to our hearts and to our walk with you this week. Lord, we love you. We thank you for everything that you've done for us and the time that we have together. We pray that you bless this time in your word and that you would be honored and glorified with what's said in this time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we've covered loving with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and, uh, and today I really want to unpack what it means to love with all of our mind. Our mind, uh, we kind of looked at the heart is kind of the seat of our emotions. Uh, the soul is really the core of who we are, uh, the thing that uh, it encompasses a lot. We even unpacked that last week, that it can, it, it can encompass the, the part of us that will eternally live on forever. Uh, it can uh, talk about the, the very core of uh, our identity as a person. There's so much that's encompassed in the word soul. But the word mind, our mind is uh, our, our faculty of understanding. Uh, our mind, right, is where we process thoughts. Our mind is uh, our way of thinking. Our, our mind is where our thoughts are stored, memories are stored, things that we think about, and and where uh, thoughts and truths are meditated upon. That's, that's really what our mind is. And the mind is an important aspect of who we are. Uh, if you were to look through scripture, you see uh, often it tells us uh, that we need to fight warfare in our mind even. Uh, I think of in Romans chapter 12, Paul said to, uh, to the Romans, he said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And then he said, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind, right? By the renewing of your mind. Uh, that you need to change the way you think many times in order to change the way that you act. Uh, and so the, the mind's an important thing. He even says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, he says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And it says, casting down imaginations uh, and, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, the things we know about God and from God and, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience to Christ. And so he's saying, hey, uh, many times the, the war is first fought in our minds. The, the way that we think about things is often going to make, uh, uh, really shape how we act. Uh, a book that I just read uh, called Winning the War in Your Mind states it this way. It says, our lives are always moving in the direction of our strongest thoughts. What we think shapes who we are. Uh, a well-known quote by a, a lot of people say it was Margaret Thatcher or by Gandhi or uh, the, the first person that I could find said it. A lot of people have said it, but the first person I, uh, I could find that said it, its name is Lao Tzu, and he said this, watch your thoughts. That's the first thing he starts out. Watch your thoughts, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, it becomes your destiny. And where did it all start? In the mind, in the way that you think. 
In speaking of our spiritual lives and how we conduct ourselves before God, a a, a preacher of old named A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Worship is pure or base as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. Uh, He says the most important thing about us is Uh, especially in our worship to God, is how we view God. Where does that start? It starts in our mind, the way that we think about God. And what we consistently see through the Bible and through history and science, it verifies it, not that we need history and science to verify the Bible, uh, but it's, it's always cool when uh, we, we see the world uh, kind of catch up to what the Bible tells us, right? And history and science verify that, uh, that what we think or how we think is a big part in determining what we do and really who we are. And so when Jesus says that we are to love with all of our mind, he's saying that all of our thoughts toward him and toward others should be loving. If we should love with all of our mind everything that we do for God, the way that we think about God, the way that we think about other people, uh, and even the way that we, th- that we think about our situation should all be filtered through uh, the, the lens or the grid of love. That's really what it's getting down to. And I, I want us to unpack how that might look in our lives uh, as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 4 through 7. Because uh, each and every one of these things, and yes, many of them are actionable, uh, we'll see even as we unpack them that many of them are, there's a thinking behind why it's actionable, okay? And so uh, what is love is really going to show us uh, how we should be thinking in a, in a way that is filtered by love, okay? And so uh, the first thing that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 and verse number four is he says this. He says, love is patient. Love is patient. Love suffers long, it says. It, it, it waits. Love understands that things take time, okay? Uh, man, we're only on the first point. I'm already convicted. I don't know about you, but like love is patient. I'm one of those people that uh, my, my wife, she comes from a family that is, that is, how do I say this nicely, that is chronically not very conscientious of how much time it takes to get ready to be somewhere by a specific time. Is that a good way of putting it? Uh, my wife, I could say it this way, my wife comes from a family and, and she just naturally has this uh, where the, a concept of time doesn't necessarily exist, at least in the same way it does to me. Uh, for someone like me, it is very hard to be patient with people like my wife. And not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to talk down upon my wife at all because it, it's really been, and I hope we'll see this by the illustration, that it's more so on my character that I'm not patient rather than on her character that she just doesn't think the same way that I do, okay? That's what I want us to see here because someone like me, someone like me who very 
easily calculates every single bit of time it's going to take to get up in the morning, to, for everyone to shower, for the girls to be ready, for the girls to get in the vehicle, for a coffee stop on the way out of town, uh, how long the trip's going to take, what time we're leaving, so I know how, how bad the traffic's going to be at specific area parts of the road, and how fast I can drive and not drive in certain areas, and all of that, I can calculate that before even waking up in the morning, I know all of that is my plan. Whereas it seems that my wife's thinking is, we're leaving at 10.30, so as long as we leave at least by 11, we're good, right? And that's what it seems in my mind, okay? What I found, though, is that many times, especially early on in our marriage, I would be the guy who would be like, like, come on, let's go. Like, hey, are you ready? Close the door. She says, no, I'm not ready yet. And then I'd uh, go and just wake up the girls and then come in and say, hey, are you ready? And just continuously bug her about it and didn't really do anything except for nag her for the next half hours trying to get her to, you know, get going and, and was very impatient. I, I, I'm just being honest that it's very hard for me, especially in time management, to be patient with people who maybe aren't as good with time management. And so uh, what I had to do, okay, in order to even grow in this area, and, and I hope you don't walk away from this going, man, Micah has this figured out now because I'm still working on this, okay? Uh, but what I've had to do in order to practice love or patience with my wife and with her family is to change the way I think about the situation. See, whereas I used to think, uh, why is she always late? You know, if she would have just gotten out of bed when her alarm went off, you know, or whatever the case might be, whereas that used to be my thinking, now my thoughts, or at least what I try to make my thoughts be, is how can I help get the girls in the vehicle so that Rebecca doesn't have to worry about getting the girls in the vehicle? What needs to be packed in the diaper bag so that Rebecca doesn't have to worry about putting stuff in the diaper bag? What kind of snacks do we pack for a tra trip like this? And so then I, on my end, am calculating even more than just the time get from getting one place to another uh, in order to help or at least try to show love and patience uh, toward my wife or toward her family. Uh, thinking through that uh, differently, changing my thoughts in order that I might practice patience or love uh, with my wife. Think about it for a moment. What, what are some ways maybe that in your life uh, you should filter your thoughts through love so that you can be patient with other people? Uh, I think about maybe when God isn't working as quickly as I want him to. It is my thought, what's taking you so long, God? <laughs> uh, why haven't you done this yet, God? Or is my thought, God, you've never failed me. You love me. You are so good, and so I'm going to wait on you. You see how the thought process is different when it's filtered through a lens of love and when, when my spouse or my children are testing my patience or, or my coworkers are testing my patience, uh, what... What lens am I seeing the situation and that person through? Uh, because if impatience is coming out, usually the lens we're seeing the situation of the person through is not a lens of love. Uh, it's a lens that is more selfish in nature, and we'll even unpack that a little bit in a minute. But uh, think about God's patience toward you to be saved, or, or of those people who maybe continuously invested the word of God into you prior to you finally coming to God. 
I think in Second Peter, when he says, the Lord's not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, many of us did not come to know Christ the first time we heard the gospel. Some of us in here might have, but many of us most likely did not come to know Jesus Christ the first time we ever had the gospel presented to us. The first time someone ever asked us if we had ever made the decision to accept Jesus' free gift of salvation. Most of us probably heard the gospel several times, over and over and over, to, uh, prior to finally accepting his gift of salvation. Well, what would drive a person... Uh, to be patient enough to keep bringing it up to you over and over, even though you consistently reject it or consistently put off that decision? What would uh, lead someone to be patient enough with you to just continuously invest the word of God into you? The answer is love. Love is what gives someone the patience to be able to over and over share the word of God. Love is what, uh, get, is what drives God to be able to be long-suffering to us word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and consistently be long-suffering toward us in, uh, in, even when we reject him or, uh, or, or uh, I think of not even just the area of salvation, but like even after salvation, moving forward, how many times we walk away from what God wants us to do and yet he's so patient toward us. To, for uh, I think of the, the prodigal son and the father was there waiting patiently for the son to come back and how our father in heaven does the same for us. But the Greek word here isn't just talking so much about patience in the way of uh, being able to wait, but it goes even further. The Greek word is uh, a word called, it, it said this way, macrophemia, which means this, not just waiting, but, but the capacity to be wronged and then not retaliate. To be able to be wronged and not retaliate towards someone. That kind of patience. It's the idea that we can endure the frustrations of people doing wrong to us because we, like Jesus, don't hold it against them. It's like when Peter wrote and said, who, talking about Jesus, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. They did me wrong, but I can still be patient with them. Why? Because it's not my job to get back at them or to enact judgment upon them for that doing. It's God's job to do that. And so I'm just going to be able to be patient, give it to God and love them despite the fact that they've done me wrong. And then Paul takes it one step further when he says love suffers long and is kind. He says love is patient, it can wait, it can endure wrongs coming toward me, but then he says and is kind. This goes a step even further to say uh, I, not just that you don't retaliate when people do you wrong, but love means that you actually go a step further to think how can I do good to or how can I help this person who has done me wrong? That's a little harder to do, right? <laughs> uh, to think, just like Jesus said in the, the Sermon on the Mount, love your enemies. Do good to them that, uh, or bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despisefully use you and, and who persecute you. When, when we're consumed with love, it, it's going to cause us to not just be able to endure wrongs that come our way, but actually to then turn around and do good back to the people who just did us wrong. 
who, who just wronged us, we bless them when they curse us. We do good to and we pray for those who wish to do us harm or, or who are actively doing us harm. Think about that. When, when someone wrongs me, what are, my, what are the thoughts running through my mind? Uh, is, is the thought, how can I get them back? Man, revenge is sweet. <laughs> is that the thought that's going through my mind? Or, or am I thinking, how can I be a blessing to them? How can I help uh, how can I be a help to them? How can I, uh, how can I, you know, pray for them in this situation? Only love can really make us think like that. Only love can make us think like that. And Paul says, love is patient, and then love is kind toward those who even do us wrong. But then he also says this, love, it's not envious. Love, it's patient, uh, it, it, it's kind, and it is not envious. Love is, is not jealous. It doesn't envy. Uh, let me ask us something today. A lot of this is going to be practical in this way because it, it really has to do with us evaluating ourselves. But let me ask us this. What is the first thought in your mind when someone else has something that you don't have? What's the first thought in your mind when God does something for someone that he hasn't yet done for you? What's the first thought in your mind? Uh, you know, envy and jealousy often lead to covetousness, wanting uh, what other people have. Like, I, I wish I had a husband like hers. I wish I had a wife like his. I, I wish I had that kind of house. I wish I had that kind of job. I, and, and it just kind of turns into wishing we had things and not being content with the things that we do have or that the Lord has given to us. I, I want that kind of position of influence. I want what they have. But love, it doesn't think like that. When someone else has something we don't, when, when God does something uh, in someone else's life that he hasn't yet done in our lives, in these kind of situations, love doesn't envy and, and say, man, I, I wish that would happen for me. Love actually rejoices for them. Love would say, man, I'm so glad God did that for them. Isn't that so cool how they were in that kind of situation and God did that to help them get through it or, or that God healed that person. Uh, man, we rejoice in how God works in other people's lives. We don't envy or get jealous. Uh, we love in the sense that we rejoice over what takes place in other people's lives and how God blesses them. And only love can really make us think like that. Only love can make us think like that. Why? Because love is not envious. And then Paul says love is not proud. Love is, uh, is patient, it's kind, it's not envious, it is not proud. He says it doesn't, vaunteth not itself. The idea of vaunting yourself is that you always feel like you have to be on display for people. Uh, like everyone uh, should be thinking about you and talking about you is really what that word uh, means. So uh, people who are like this are consistently telling stories about yourself, not to add to the conversation to add, or, or to add value to the hearers, uh, but so that everyone might think more highly of you or uh, that you are, are, think about it this way. You know that person who's like always the hero of their own stories? Like they, every story they tell, and then I did, and then they like, they're the person that everyone is looking up to by the end of every story. That's vaunting yourself. 
uh, thinking that everyone has to think a certain level of high, highness of you. Uh, and so the way that you talk or the way that you want people to think or talk about you uh, all the time, that's vaunting yourself. And he says, if, if we're thinking in love, we don't, we don't have that mindset. We don't have the mindset that everyone has to be talking or thinking about us all the time. It's not proud. And, uh, and then he says, it's not puffed up. Uh, the idea of being puffed up is that, uh, so whereas vaunting yourself is almost on the proactive of, man, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to make sure everyone thinks well of me, being puffed up is more so reactive in this sense that uh, when someone says something to us, maybe compliments us on something, uh, does it inflate our ego? when people say things like that. You, you begin thinking of yourself as something special when nice things are said about you uh, or to you. Uh, in Galatians chapter 6, uh, Paul gives a pretty good explanation of how we should think. He says it this way. He says, For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. And if you were to look up that, that verse and, and, and parse out the words, you find out that he... I used to always think that verse meant this. If a person thinks he's something special when he's really not that special, then he deceives himself, which is a true statement. But he literally just says, if a person thinks himself to be something when he's nothing. You could say it this way. Paul's saying, for anyone to think of himself to be anything other than nothing, you deceive yourself. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Like, Sometimes I think, you know, I, I think I got this, like, reading my Bible thing down. I think I got, whoa, oh, you're deceiving yourself. Think yourself to be something when you're actually nothing. What did Jesus say in John, John chapter uh, 15? He said, without me, you can do nothing. So anytime we start to think, oh, I think I got this down, or I think I might, we think ourselves to be anything other than nothing, we deceive ourselves. And yet, Many times when people compliment us or say nice things about us, we allow it to puff us up to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And so we shouldn't allow our ego to get puffed up. How do we guard against that? Well, we allow our thoughts to be filtered through a grid of love. When people compliment you, what are your reactionary thoughts? Like, like for me, to make this personal for me, if people were to compliment me uh, as a preacher, preaching the word of God, someone come up to me afterward and say, man, that was a great message, or man, that really helped me, is the first thought in my mind, yeah, I'm a pretty good communicator. <laughs> or is the first thought in my mind like, oh, wow, maybe I am a pretty good preacher. Or is the first thought in my mind, man, I'm glad that someone was helped. Uh, what, what's the first thought in your mind when people compliment you for something that you did? Is it, man, I actually am pretty good? Or is it, man, I'm so glad that someone was blessed by it? That's really a good uh, indicator of if our thoughts are being filtered through love. Because we realize when our, our thoughts are filtered through love, we realize none of this is really actually about us. It's about God and it's about other people. So love, it's not proud. Love is not proud. And then Paul says this, love is not inappropriate. Love is not inappropriate. He says uh, in verse uh, 5, doth not behave itself unseemly. Uh, The Greek word that's translated unseemly and the other Greek words it's derived from is one that the few times it's used in scripture is often talking about inappropriate behavior that is sexual in nature or involves nakedness. 
Uh, you can find that context in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians and in Romans chapter 1 when he says that people turned uh, man to man and worked that which was unseemly. And in the Greek renderings of the Old Testament, you can find that. Uh, that that seems to be the context of this Greek word. And so what is Paul saying? He's saying this. Hey, love sees people uh, more so as an image bearer of God than a sexual image. That, that's really what he's saying. And when we see someone as an image bearer of God, then our thoughts will not be inappropriate toward them. If we're seeing people through the grid and the lens of love, then our thoughts are not going to be inappropriate toward them. So can I, can I be a little blunt this morning? I'll be a little vague because I understand some of our audience today. But at the same time, I want to be blunt with this that, sir, if you're loving the way you're supposed to, you will probably wouldn't be viewing those things that you've been viewing and you would not be thinking those things about other women that you've been thinking. Ma'am, if, if you're loving the way you're supposed to be loving, then you probably wouldn't be longing for something with that man who isn't your husband. Teenagers, if your thoughts or actions towards another person are of a nature that should only be enjoyed within the confines of a marriage between a man and a woman uh, when they are married, if, if your actions or your thoughts are in any nature that would be that then you're not loving the way you're supposed to. Uh, many times people, they like to justify themselves. That They say, well, I'm not actually acting upon these thoughts. I'm not actually doing these things. I'm not actually uh, practicing those kinds of sensual activities. I'm not doing that. Well, Jesus said that for a person to even look on another person and to lust after them in their heart, uh, then it, they, and to lust after them in your heart means it went way further than just uh, recognizing someone was attractive, uh, if you've done that in your heart, then you've already done it, uh, it, it says, in your heart. You've, are, you've already committed adultery in your heart. And if someone finds themselves in this kind of mindset that they consistently see other people in an inappropriate way, then they're driven more so by lust. They're not demonstrating love. They're not demonstrating love. Why? Because love is not inappropriate. Love is not unseemly. Love thinks of others in an appropriate manner. Love views each person as an image bearer of God. It doesn't behave itself unseemly. And then Paul tells us not only is love not inappropriate, but love is not selfish. Love is not selfish. It says, seeketh not her own. Now this is different than, than envy and jealousy that we just talked about. Uh, whereas envy and jealousy often leads to covetousness, which is, I want what they have. Selfishness isn't so much, I want what they have. Selfishness is, I want what I have. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, in, in college, we had this thing called a community fridge, okay? And what we would always do at this community fridge, it started out as you could put anything in there, anyone was open to it, but sometimes you have items that you don't want to share, right? And so we would label them. Okay, Micah's chocolate milk. There were a couple of Micahs in my dorm. Micah Bosworth's chocolate milk. Okay, like labeling, this is mine. Why? I don't want to share it, right? I, I'm labeling this chocolate milk and it became a problem then because we didn't want to share that when we had something labeled and someone took some of it, it became a problem in the dorm. In fact, uh, I, I probably, okay, I'll take a little bit of time and tell you. Uh, we... There was one time that it became such a problem that my chocolate milk was being stolen that uh, I, I popped the cap off without breaking the seal, unloaded a bottle of chocolate X-Lax in it, and popped it back on. 
All right, and whoever was stealing my chocolate milk, let's just say they stopped, cho- stopped stealing my chocolate milk after that because they didn't know it was going to happen, okay? It, it probably wasn't done in love. I'll just be completely honest right now. We're talking about our thought process being a thought process of love. It probably wasn't done in love, but, uh, but why did we do those things? Because this is mine, right? We would label things mine. We don't want to share those things. Well, love, love doesn't label things mine is really what it's saying when it says seeketh not her own. Uh, We don't see our time as my time, my money, my home, my car, mine, 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 mine. That's not how we see things. Uh, Love says this, this is something that I have. I have time. I have money. I have a home. I have a car. uh, Love sees it as this way. This is something that I have. But I don't think of it as mine. I think of it as something that I can invest for God and for other people. That's what love does. Uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't ever have me time or that you shouldn't ever buy yourself things, okay? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that uh, if we're governed by love, we will think of our resources less so as our own and more so as things that we have to use for God and for the help of other people. Why? Because love isn't selfish, Love doesn't seek her own, is what Paul says. And then Paul says this, love is composed. Okay, love is composed. What does that mean? Uh, the, the millennial word for this would be chill. Okay, me growing up, this is like, you're chill, okay? You're cool under pressure. The, the Gen Z word for this, the younger people uh, would say, this is, you're low key, Okay, you're low key. Uh, you're, you're, right? Yeah, I'm still hip on the new lingo, okay? That's how I know. Is, are we still using groovy? No, I'm just kidding. All right. Um, no, just it, composed. What does that mean? You're cool under pressure. You're chill, okay? You're, you're not easily provoked is the way that Paul says it. Uh, many times we can be quick-tempered. We can, uh, if someone wrongs us, no matter how small the wrong seems to be, it sets us off. Uh, when, whenever that happens. But when we do that, we're, we're not demonstrating love. Or really, the, the kind of love that we're demonstrating is a love of our own self. Uh, and we, we just talked about selfishness. And, and when we aren't, when we aren't uh, viewing people through a lens of love and we become more self-serving, uh, then any offense that may come our way is now an attack on our person, our identity, on our authority, or our own, uh, what we know, and, and we're right all the time. So then any kind of offense is always an attack on us because we're not seeing people through the lens of love. Things are more self-serving now. And any offense that may come uh, is, is, is an attack on us because we have this mind of being self-gratifying. And so those offenses naturally then provoke us to anger. Uh, But the idea of not being easily provoked means that because our thoughts are not self-gratifying, but rather God-focused and others-focused, that when offenses do come, we're cool under the pressure. In fact, we forgive them. Jesus said on the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. What did they do? They, they were literally murdering him. They had beaten him, spit on him, ripped out facial hair. They had done terrible things, and yet he was able to look at them and say, God, would you forgive them? They don't know what they're doing. Stephen, when he was martyred, Acts chapter number seven, at the end of it, he, he's there and he looks up to heaven as they're stoning him. And very much like our Savior, he says, God, don't hold this to their account. 
Don't, don't put this sin to their charge, Lord. How could, how could you do that? What could move someone to stay so composed and even forgiving through such offenses? What kind of thing gives someone a mindset like that? Love does. A mindset of love would, would allow us to be able to not be easily provoked or, and, and set off at offenses that may come, but actually stay cool under the pressure and then go further to forgive those wrongs. Why? Because love is composed. It's not easily provoked. And then Paul says, love, love is very trusting. Love is trusting. He says, uh, thinketh no evil. It doesn't think evil. Love, love does not assume the worst in people. Love doesn't assume the worst in people. Uh, <clears throat> do you automatically assume that your spouse is cheating when they don't come home on time? Do you assume that the people at your workplace are all gossiping about you anytime that they're talking and might kind of glance your way? Do you, do you assume that uh, the pastor is out to get you every time he talks because he says something that, man, it seems like he's in my home saying that. Do, do you just automatically assume that people are out to get you when they say certain things? Uh, when, you, uh, when you see someone uh, on, on the side of the road asking for money, do you just automatically assume they're going to do something wrong with that money? Do, do you get what, what the concept is? Thinking in your mind, automatically just thinking uh, they're doing something wrong or they're doing something evil, especially a lot of times it's they're doing something that's going to be wrong toward me. But, but love doesn't think that way. Love doesn't assume the worst in people. It doesn't assume wrongdoing in people. It doesn't think evil. One person uh, was talking about, you know, sometimes when we have that mindset, someone's asking for money on the side of the road, something like that. He was telling this story. I was listening to a guy give a devotional on th this very thought right here of, of not uh, thinking evil, and, but thinking through a grid of love. And he said that he looked up to his dad and his dad was about to give this guy on the side of the road in a downtown area, a really rough area, about to give him about 30 bucks. And he looked up at his dad and goes, Dad, don't you think that he's probably just going to uh, go spend that on drugs or on alcohol or something? And this is what the dad said. He said, you know, son, perhaps he will waste it on liquor, but I'd rather be occasionally taken advantage of than live my life with that kind of skepticism. Whoa. What, what makes someone think like that? I'd rather be taken advantage of sometimes than to live with a skeptic's mind. What makes, you, what makes someone do that? Love. Love motivates someone to think that way. Why? Because love is trusting. We trust people. We don't automatically assume the worst of people and think that people are out to do us harm or think that people are out to do evil. We trust when we think, when we look at people through the grid and the lens of love. Love is trusting. And then Paul says this, love is truth-seeking. Love is truth-seeking. Uh, he says, the rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Uh, love doesn't rejoice when someone sins. Our, our first thought when someone's life falls apart because they failed morally isn't, well, that's what they deserve. Uh, what? We don't find joy in seeing people sin. We, we don't find satisfaction in the wrongdoing of other people. Love finds satisfaction in truth. Our thought when we see someone in sin should not be, well, they deserve it, or, well, oh, man, I saw that coming, or anything like that. Our thought should be, man, how can I help them in this time? 
that passage where Paul says, any man thinks to himself to be something when he's nothing. Uh, in that same passage, he says, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. What, what's the thought? Well, we rejoice in the truth. When someone sins, we don't think, ha-ha, see, that's what you get from sinning. No, we think, let me help you to get this right. How can you grow from this? How can God ultimately get glory from the redemption that takes place in this situation? That's what love thinks. One man said it this way, love is never glad when others go wrong. To rejoice in the truth means to be glad about behavior that is in accordance with the truth of God's word. If someone you don't like falls into sin, you don't gloat, you grieve. Because God is grieved over sin. If they repent, you rejoice. There is a fine balance to love. Yeah, I do like this distinction. This man says, there is a fine balance to love. Although love is kind and overlooks the faults of others, it does not compromise the truth or take a soft view of sin. Whether uh, to allow another person to go in, on in sin, whether it's known or a blind spot, is not to seek his best. It, it, is, it is not love. Love will sensitively confront and correct precisely because it cares deeply and knows that sin destroys. Love rejoices with the truth. Love gets excited when it hears of spiritual victories. Love encourages by expressing joy over little evidences of growth. Like the apostle John wrote when he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. When love is our mindset, we seek to know truth, we seek to share truth, and we rejoice when truth prevails. We do not look at situations and go, yeah, I saw that coming. We, we grieve over the sin, and then love says, now how can God get glory through the redemption of this situation? How can I help this person to get back into the truth of God's word? That is the way that love thinks. We don't rejoice in, true, er, in, uh, in iniquity, in sin. We rejoice in seeking after truth. And then lastly, Paul says this, love, it's enduring. Love is enduring. He says it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Bears all things means that despite all weaknesses, offenses, or trials, through all things, love covers that's what that word bear means. It's like what Peter says when love cold, uh, covers a multitude of sins. It, it, that's the idea that through all offenses, through all situations, through all trials, love, it covers those offenses. It, it, it bears over them it, through all things. It endures no matter the hardship. And then uh, believes all things. Now, this doesn't mean that we're gullible. It doesn't mean we believe or accept everything to be truth. Love does not believe a lie, we just talked about that, but love is ready to see the best even if an act is unkind or detrimental. We give people the benefit of the doubt in all things. Now, in all situations, we believe the best when we're filtered through a lens of love. Love hopes all things. This means not only do we believe the best, we expect the best. Everyone and everything may seem to be against us, but in the midst of it all, we have hope in God and that all things will work together for our good. Why? Because we see that in all things, 
That either the, the glory of God is going to come about as a, as a result or the good of us is going to come about. And many times the good is, glorying to, is glorifying to God in the fact that we are now more like Jesus Christ because of what we've gone through. And we hope and expect that to happen in all situations when we are thinking through the lens of love. And then he says, endures all things. What, he, what he's saying is love is the only thing that's really going to last. Last time we were in 1 Corinthians 13, we mentioned that this is right, in, right smack dab in the middle of three chapters that Paul is writing on spiritual gifts. He's saying, man, you really want to do well? Uh, you really want to prophesy? You really want to preach? You really want to do all of those things? Great, but a better thing would be to focus on how to love. Make sure that all of those things that you do are filtered through and, and motivated by love. Why? Because love's the only thing that endures, that lasts. He even says later on in the chapter, he says, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. They'll be done away with one day. Whether there be tongues, they will cease. The, the spiritual gifts, they aren't going to last forever. Even at the end of the chapter, he says, faith, hope, and charity, faith, hope, and love. These three, the greatest of these is charity. One day, faith will even no longer be here. Why? Because our faith will be made sight. <laughs> right? So even faith and hope one day, Will, will be done away with because of the circumstances that we, are, uh, that we have come to. But love, it endures all things. It will always be. Love will remain through it all. You know, as I, as I go through all of these characteristics of love, you start to kind of see a common theme. And the common theme seems to be this. Love is always thinking more about the glory of God and the good of other people than it is my own glory and my own good. That's really the, the common theme I see through all of this is that love is always thinking more so, God, I want you to get the glory and people, I want them to be helped, the good of other people, rather than how am I going to be helped? How am I going to get good out of this? How am I going to get glory out of this? No, 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 no. I want God to get glory and I want other people to be helped. That's the, what love is always thinking more about in every situation. And if we're honest today, as we unpack these truths, I, I think all of us could probably admit that we unpack each one of those, we're probably not loving to the full extent that we probably should be loving. The one thing I've always heard, you can do it two ways, is th these few verses, you could, uh, in the place of the word charity, put the name Jesus, and that's how Jesus loves us. But then to kind of see if we're doing our part is put your name there. <laughs> And could I say, Micah is patient? Not always. <laughs> Micah is kind, is he? And Micah doesn't envy. And put your name there and really start to evaluate. If we did that, if we go through these characteristics and really evaluate, I think all of us would probably walk away saying, you know what, I'm probably not thinking through the lens and the grid of love as much as I should be. And, and the only way to remedy that is to submit our minds, our way of thinking, to the truth of the word of God, <laughs> to the gospel. That's really the only way to remedy that, which comes back to, and it has every single week, and it, and it will next week again, but it comes back to this, do I know the love of God? <laughs> do I know the love of God? I, I can't have a mindset shaped by godly love if I don't know the love of God. So maybe there's someone in here today, you, you've never actually accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You never entered into a relationship with God. The first step is you need to come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and start to walk in love with Him. So that then, these things that we're talking about may start 
to come out in your life. It, it, you cannot uh, have a godly mindset or a, a mindset that's shaped by godly love if you don't have God's love. But for many of us in here, we do know Jesus as our personal Savior. And so I'd ask us this, are, are we growing in our walk with the Lord? Most of the time, it comes down to when we're not loving the way we're supposed to, most of the time it comes down to we haven't been exposing ourselves very much to the source of love, to, to God. Man, almost, it's almost become a thing, and I, I love how in my marriage I, we're allowed to do this, but if I'm not loving the way I'm supposed to, sometimes it's very easy for my wife to just go, did you read your Bible today? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> At midnight before I went to bed, it's technically today, right, or something, you know. But, but many times when we're not loving the way we're supposed to, it's because we've, we haven't been exposing ourselves to the source of love. So for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior, for us to have this godly love as, as the shaping or, or what shapes our mind and, and our way of thinking, man, we need to consistently and constantly expose ourselves to the source of love, which is God, our relationship to him. And so are you growing in your relationship to him? Love is a mindset. Our thoughts toward God, our thoughts toward other people, and the situations of life should all be filtered through the lens of love, through the grid of the gospel. And if our thoughts haven't been loving, then how about we just take a moment, take some time now as we get into the invitation to repent of that and ask God to help us to love the way that we're supposed to. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.